Today we're continuing our series called Practical Passages by looking at two passages from the book of Daniel. Hey, it's Amber, wife, mother, type A child of God. Here are little things we look at everyday issues from a biblical perspective with one simple goal, to know and love God more. Thanks for listening. Now, years ago, when I was teaching a women's Bible study and Sunday school, I decided to take my classes through the book of Daniel, and it had a profound impact on me for multiple reasons, and a few of them we're going to talk about today. But first, I want to give you just a little bit of background on the book of Daniel and the man Daniel. So King David reigned, he was the second king over Israel, and he expanded Israel's territories to the largest that they would ever be. After him, his son Solomon reigned, and the kingdom was fine, but Solomon's son, when he took, um, he became king, the kingdom was divided right off the bat. So there were 10 tribes that broke away. And they became the northern kingdoms called Israel. They maintained the name Israel. And then two tribes in the south stayed, and they were called Judah. Now, the tribes in the north were reigned by wicked kings. Think Ahab, Ahab and Jezebel. They were just wicked. They didn't follow the Lord. And eventually God just had them deported. So the Syrians came in. They took them. They, they took them away to the land of Assyria they brought their own people in and done deal. The southern tribe, southern tribes known as Judah, they did a little bit better. They had some bad kings, but they had some good kings who followed the Lord. So they were able to stay intact for a little bit longer. Now, Daniel was raised in nobility in the southern tribe of Judah, but he was carried away by Nebuchadnezzar into captivity in Babylon as the first wave of people to go over. So the first thing they did is took some of the Jewish noblemen, took them over, and they were going to educate them and raise them up to be Nebuchadnezzar's servants, really, to serve the king. So these men, we were told are very smart, their intelligence, they're quick to learn. They had no physical blemishes of any kind. So they were sort of the best of the best from Judah. This happened about eight years before the next wave of people, which was 10,000 soldiers and some craftsmen were carried off into captivity. And then 18 years after Daniel was taken over, the whole land, Jerusalem was destroyed and everybody was carried into captivity. So because Daniel and his friends were taken into captivity and because of the way that the Lord blessed them, they were raised up into super powerful positions by the time that the rest of the people came over. And this probably had a pretty big impact on the captivity that the people had. Because you would think that if you were, you know, conquered and taken to live in another land, it would probably be a pretty horrid experience. But that wasn't actually the case. When the people came over, they found jobs, they actually had fairly decent lives. And then the thought is that Daniel may actually have been the reason that a lot of the, the captives 
were allowed to return to Jerusalem after the set period of captivity, 70 years, was finished. So Daniel had a profound impact on the Israelites from Judah who went over into captivity in Babylon. So what I need you to know right now, though, is we're going to Daniel chapter one, which is right when Daniel has been taken over. He was probably a very young man, maybe 14 years old, 14 to 18, somewhere in there. We know that he was, you know, a fine looking man. We know that he had been raised in a good um, home that was kind of high up, the nobility in Judah. And so he gets to Babylon and he's introduced to the court. So he's part of the court. He's of the king's palace. He's eating there and he's with the other captives who have to learn the ways of Babylon. They have to be educated in all kinds of courses. They have to learn the language. And Daniel finds something to be a problem immediately. So this is what we're told in Daniel 1 verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. So what does this mean? Well, in Babylon, oftentimes the food was sacrificed to idols prior to the king and the king's court eating it. So the meal would be observing the deity of a certain person and, the, and what they stand for. So that would be a problem for a young Jewish man who was committed to God. There was a second problem too, and that was that Jewish regulations meant that food had to be prepared a certain way. The Jews did not, you know, have any blood in their food and and they only ate certain meats. And of course, when they got to the land of Babylon, those Jewish regulations were not kept. So this young Jewish man who was brought captive to a different place, in his heart, he already looked and he saw what was going on. And he decided, in fact, we're told he he resolved, which means to firmly determine. So Daniel, in his mind, firmly determined that he was not going to defile himself. To defile means to sully or to make impure. Now, that's interesting because Daniel could have made excuses. He could have said, look, I'm a captive here. I don't have any choice as to what food I get to eat or how I get to prepare it. So God isn't going to hold it against me if I just eat this food. Or he could have tried. And when the person he went to, the king's official that he went to said, look, I understand what you're saying here because Daniel went to the man and he's like, look, I don't want to eat this, this meat and this wine. And the official said, I understand, but I can't have you looking unhealthy or the king will cut off my head. And Daniel could have said, well, I tried. I guess I tried. But he didn't do that. Daniel resolved. He firmly decided that he was not going to defile himself, even though he was taken away from home. And he asked the official for a test. He said, just test us for 10 days. Just see how we look after 10 days. If we just eat the food we want to eat, the vegetables, we drink the water and eat the grains and that type of thing, 
and see how we look. And if you think it's okay, then let's just carry on. It is so easy to just go the way of the world, to just say, well, I guess this is what we're supposed to do now. So this is what we're doing. It is what it is. I can't do anything about it. How much better to firmly resolve in your mind that you are going to honor God with your life, whatever that means. For Daniel, it was sticking to the ceremonial regulations that he had been raised with to honor God. But for us, it might be something much different. It might be choosing not to participate in certain days or certain activities or choosing not to watch certain things, not to go to a movie theater if they're showing this movie. It may be choosing not to participate in certain activities. You know, I've said for a long time and I'm not throwing stones. I don't want anybody to get defensive because I get this and I have, I have at times done the whole Black Friday shopping thing. I've gotten really into it some years. And then these later years, I've really realized how it's so off-putting that one day we are thanking God for all of our blessings. And within hours, we're looking at advertisements to see what else we can get. And some stores would even open on Thanksgiving and cut the Thanksgiving holiday short so we could get more. And so again, I'm not throwing stones. I'm not, I'm just saying it's a good idea to realize that we don't have to take part in everything that society says we have to take part in. And for us to say, how can I best honor God? What is that going to look like in my life? What am I going to do? And you know, it can be the difference between being on social media certain hours or certain times or how much time you spend on social media. It can be the language that you use. You know, I've I've mentioned it here several times, I think, and I've mentioned it with my friends a lot. I cannot get over the fact that anymore on television, TV shows, movies, everywhere I go, the name of Jesus is taken in vain. Just so without a, without a thought. It's as if Nobody thinks twice about using the name Jesus as a curse word, which seems crazy. If we're going to resolve to honor God, then we are going to have to stand apart from culture. And Daniel was a perfect example of that. Now we're going to skip ahead to Daniel chapter two. The king, Nebuchadnezzar, has had a dream and it's it's bothering him. So he calls his wise men and he says, look, I want you to tell me what the dream is and interpret it. Because I don't want to tell you the dream and have you just say, oh, this is what it is. If you're really, truly wise, I want you to tell me what the dream was and then interpret it for me. And then I'll know that you're you're wise and you're not just making things up. And they went, you've got to be kidding me. There's no way anybody could do this. That's insane. No one would know what you were dreaming. So first tell us your dream and then we'll tell you what the meaning was. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that this time. You tell me what I dreamt and then tell me the meaning and then you can live. If not, you're all going to die. So they couldn't do it. So he issued an order to have all the wise men of the land killed. Now, Daniel was in training, but the henchman, the executioner, 
came to his door and knocked on his door to take him and his friends away to have them executed. And when that happened, we're told in Daniel 2, verse 14, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. Now, Daniel's life was on the line. And we to- were told that Daniel spoke with wisdom and tact. What is wisdom? Well, wisdom, I used to, I like to say wisdom is insight for living. And man, if you're going to live in this situation, when you're in a life and death situation, wisdom is a good thing to have. Like, how am I going to get out of here? How am I going to get through this kerfuffle, whatever's going on right now? Tact, though, he didn't have to use tact. He could have grumbled. He could have been sharp. He could have been, you know, like nervous. He could have been on edge. He could have screamed. He could have yelled. Tact is to use sensitivity when you choose your words. So with wisdom intact, he spoke to the executioner who came to his door. And if you were to read the following, the rest of the chapter, you'd find out that he asked for a chance to have more time. So the king gives him another day. And during that time, he prays, his friends pray, and God gives him the meaning of the dream. He gives him the dream and the meaning of the dream. And afterwards, Daniel didn't take credit for it. He gave all the credit to God, all the credit to God. And then, which was, uh, you know, in and of itself, this is a young man. And he says, look, I couldn't do this, but God did it. But then he also, because Nebuchadnezzar raised him up because he gave the interpretation of this dream. He said, well, if you're going to raise me up, you should probably raise my my friends up too, because they were part of this. And so because he wasn't greedy for power and just all about being self-centered and getting all the attention himself, he gave glory to God and then had his three friends raised up in addition to himself. So just such a phenomenal experience of being in harm's way, not freaking out, not complaining, not running around like a chicken with your head cut off, But just saying, you know, could I have some time? And then seeking God in prayer. And when God gave him the answer he needed, he gave all the glory, all the credit to God and asked for his friends to get a little of of the reward that he was getting to. Just a phenomenal experience. Now, the last passage I want to talk about is from Daniel chapter six. And this happens when Daniel is probably about 80 years old. So a lot of time has passed now. And we find throughout the book of Daniel that Daniel didn't change. He was resolved to honor God as a young man, and that didn't change the older he got. So he was in a position where the king, this is new king, was going to raise Daniel up to be in charge of everyone. So he was going to be his right man, right-hand man. He was going to be the vice president, if you will. And the other officials in the kingdom were jealous. And so they were looking for a way to trap Daniel. And this is what we're told in Daniel 6, verse 4. The administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of governmental affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. So corrupt is 
to have a willingness to act dishonestly in return for money or personal gain. So they could find no corruption in him. He wasn't going to do anything shady just for the fact, you know, that he could get ahead or get a little money out of stuff. He was just not that person. But to be trustworthy means that he did what he said he was going to do. If he said, I'm going to do this and I'm going to get it done, he did it. And negligent is to fail is failing to do something. So not only did Daniel do the things he was told to do, but everything he was supposed to do got done. He didn't leave half his work at the end of the day and go, well, it's not my problem. I did enough. Sounds good. He was the kind of person that you could depend on. If he said he was going to be there, he would be there. If he said he was going to do it, he wasn't going to do it partway. He was going to come prepared, showing up, knowing what was going on, getting it done. That's just the kind of person he was. There was no corruption in him. So he didn't care about what he had to do to get ahead because he wasn't trying to get ahead. He was just trying to honor God in the way he lived. So he honored God and he served as king. End of story. It seems to me that we could learn a lot about this, not just about how to be a Christian in a workplace, you know, and show up, be on time, do what you're told to do. Don't leave half your stuff undone. But the fact that Daniel refused to be corrupted, his character was untouchable. It, it speaks to me. And how do we go about doing this? Because we live in a really crazy world that doesn't care about God, doesn't care about God's ways. In fact, it's hard to find people anymore who even know about God and know about the Bible and knows what, you know, God commands or, or what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to live apart. So what do we do to not be corrupted? Well, first of all, if we're going to know God's ways, we're going to have to be in the word. We're going to have to study the word. We're going to have to know what God says is good and what God says is bad. So that's that's first off, if we're not in God's word, how can we know? Second, we're going to have to be praying for this steadfastness that Daniel had, this resolve to do things God's way and not our own. Because as Peter says, the Apostle Peter says, you know, we're living as strangers in this world and people are going to think it odd that you don't do what they do if you stand apart. One of the things that I like is Psalm 51 verse 10. It's a very well-known part of a lot of our liturgies, our services, uh, worship services. And it says, create in me a pure heart, O God. You can't go wrong praying scripture. So when you read something in scripture and you pray it, create in me a pure heart, O God. God loves to answer those prayers. And he'll do that by helping you to see a different way to live. He'll do that when you read the Bible. He'll do that when you're around other Christians. When you're around other Christians who stand apart, who everybody else is drinking and, you know, partying. And they're like, no, nah, I'll just take an iced tea today. Thanks so much. Or when everybody else is using foul language and you notice this person just never does. Or when everybody else is talking about certain subjects or talking about another person. But again, when you're around this Christian, they just, 
they just don't gossip. They just don't badmouth anyone. And they even have a way of spinning things to make you think that maybe you shouldn't do it either. That's having a pure heart. So we can get that, pray for it. God loves to do that. And we don't know how he'll work that out. Like what podcast we'll hear or what Christian will be standing next to on a certain Sunday that will say something that will impact us and help us to do this better. But why not pray? And then Luther, in his catechism, I did the Ten Commandments last year, or earlier this year, I guess. Um, In his catechism, he talks about baptism. And one of the things that he talks about is daily repentance. So going to God and really asking God for forgiveness, saying that we're sorry for the things that we've done wrong. And that's a way of washing ourselves pure too, to actually examine our lives before God and say, you know, I know I have a sinful nature. And as I look back on yesterday, I can see that I did this wrong. And God, I'm asking you to help me. I don't want to keep making this mistake. So help me to do better. Help me to not use that language. Help me to not say those things about other people. Help me to not whatever. Whatever it was that I was doing yesterday, I'm asking you to help me to not do it. Now, here's the thing. God already knows. So you don't have to be ashamed to pray to him and say something even like, God, I'm sorry I, I looked at porn yesterday. Or I'm sorry I lusted after this person in my heart. God already knows. He can see your heart. He knows everything. So it's better to just be upfront and honest with him. And when you actually pray then, God, I want to be pure before you. Help me to do this. He is so pleased to do that. He is so pleased to give you ways to strengthen you, to help you, to give you friends to walk alongside you, to help you, to point you out point you to passages that will give you strength and guidance to do this. So, you know, we don't have to think that we're on our own, that we have to do this on our, uh, by ourselves, and that God certainly wouldn't want to hear about the things that we're struggling with. Nothing is further from the fr- truth, because he already knows what we're struggling with. So you might as well go to him for help. And you might as well be honest with other Christians and take steps to just honor God with your life, wherever you're at, whatever situation, whatever whatever group you're in, whatever place in life you are, whether you're at home or at work or in the public square, whatever your position, just you can choose to honor God. It's not going to be the easy way. It wasn't for Daniel. He certainly could have made excuses. He could have certainly you know, just justified that he wouldn't be able to do this in Babylon. It was very easy for him to live as a as a Jewish man, keeping the, the laws of God when he had food at his disposal and could do what he wanted. He could have made excuses he didn't. He chose to live in such a way that he honored God with his words, with his actions, so that people had to go out of the way to try to find something that this guy was wrong, doing wrong, that they could peg against him. And the only thing that they could find was the fact that he prayed to God three, day, three times a day. So that's what they had to hold against him and use to get him thrown into the lion's den and out of the top seat. May such words be said of us, that we too are trustworthy in everything 
there's no corruption found in us, that we're not negligent in what we do, and that our thoughts, words, and actions every day lead people to want to know God more. This has been Little Things, because in God's kingdom, the little things are the big things. <laughs>